hear me? Is this thing on? If not, it is? All right. Garrett. Um, yeah, the season of Pentecost. Here we are. About to come to a close. Next weekend is the, the bookend to close off the season. And um, this morning I'm going to be talking about kind of my process these past few months. I've never observed Pentecost for an entire season, um, but that's something I really enjoy about being a part of this community is um, just walking through the church calendar in a really natural way. And so this morning, it's funny, or maybe not funny, that as the children's volunteers came up and Scott prayed for rest, what I want to talk about this morning is the discipline of rest, because that's what I've been learning. Um, and so instead of giving a teaching, I more so, this might be more of like a testimony, just telling my story, um, specifically the last couple of months, but it's, this season has just caused me to look back over kind of my whole life with the Spirit and different ways that I've engaged with the Holy Spirit in different seasons up until where I am now. And I have learned a lot, and uh, I'm a very contextual person. Maybe you've picked that up in my past teachings where I like, I feel like I, I want to bring every book that I have and just read through different things. Um, but I've just tried to simplify it, and hopefully it will be um, somewhat relatable. It seems like we've kind of been in a similar current um, every Sunday, so I just want to pray for us before we start. Holy Spirit, we love you. And we're so thankful that you are our partner in our lives and you're our counselor. You're with us. And I just pray this morning, Lord, that you would um, speak to our hearts. You've already been speaking and we're so thankful. We just want to remain open to you and listening to you. We just thank you for loving us how you do. And um, yeah, we just want to say we're here and we're ready to listen to you. In Jesus' name. Do you mind bringing me my cup under there? Thank you. Mm -hmm. That's the one. So the last few months, I've been finding myself at a very interesting intersection of noticing how my busyness has affected or influenced my perception and my relationship with the Holy Spirit for my whole life. Um, I'm one of those types of people who likes to be busy. I love being busy. At best, I say it's high capacity. There's nothing better for me than to have a day or a full week just packed with stuff to do. So every day I can make a list and I can cross it off. I love that. And when I was, uh, my mom used to tell stories of when I was little, when I was a baby, um, when I would wake up from a nap, I would look around me and I would grab a lunchbox or a purse and I would just head out the door like I had somewhere to go. And so that makes me think maybe, maybe being a doer like isn't inherently bad. Um, maybe that's just a part of who I am and it's a good thing. Uh, but I do know that if I lean into it too much, it can become pretty unhealthy for me. And I, I know this because I'm also very prone to being anxious. And that is obviously magnified when I load up my schedule and I don't have time to do everything. Anxiety has been a big part of my life, and I think at the root of it is fear of losing control and maybe even an addiction to control. And I think that's the dark underbelly of my busyness, 
that I can use it as a means of control over my life, over others, etc. Have you ever experienced feeling controlled by someone? Or an attempt to be controlled? Have you ever felt controlled by people who talk about the Holy Spirit? We can't see the Holy Spirit right now. It's like the wind. And unfortunately, sometimes in religious settings, the Holy Spirit can be an easy scapegoat for our own ambitions and our intentions. And that's kind of hard to argue with, especially when it's coming from a leader. Not only have I experienced this and felt it very deeply, feeling controlled, but I have also been that person. I know I have the capacity inside of me to be that person. I can be controlling, I can be manipulative, and I have done that and blamed it on the Holy Spirit. So there's my confession. That's a big part of what I've been learning and wrestling with. So for me, this Pentecost season has been a time of learning that the opposite of control is trust. It's rest. And that rest is a spiritual discipline that heals our souls. Rest has gone hand in hand with letting go of control, learning to trust, leaning into mystery, and acknowledging that there are some things that just aren't mine to know and that aren't mine to do. And like we've been saying for the past few weeks, those glorious words that Becca spoke, we are not the gardeners of our lives, but we are the garden. And it's my job to just be and to remain in the vine. Woo. And to let the Holy, I, a big page of what I, I think I, I skipped a page, so sorry, catching up. Yeah, just to remain in the vine and to let the Holy Spirit do his work. I can't do everything. And as I've been spending some time looking back on different seasons of my life, um, I've seen these two threads of being busy and wanting to rest woven through specifically my relationship with God. How do those two things exist at the same time? The urge to be busy in control and the urge to rest and to let go. That sort of thinking requires a non-dual lens and by that I mean most things in life aren't black and white. Almost everything in our world holds the tension of not being either or, but both. I don't think that people are good or bad. I think we have a nice cocktail of good and bad and everything in between inside of us. And when the time is right, whenever we want to, we can tap into those different things. And Paul in Romans talks about the internal, internal reality of this in terms of your flesh and your renewed self. And when he says flesh, he's not talking about our physical body or our desires, but maybe a better word would be our ego. The things inside of you that are unhealthily self-serving. That exist inside of you as the same time, at the same time as you are being renewed in the image of your creator. And I don't think renewal means that our ego or our flesh is just kind of burned off and left, but I actually think it means that they too, like our, our flesh and our ego, too go through the fire of Christ's love and we begin to learn from them and understand why they had such a big hold on us in the first place. And then we become integrated into this whole self, fully human, fully the image of God in each one of us. And so my quest for control through being busy came very apparent last year when my mom passed away a month and a half before our wedding. And actually our uh, one year anniversary is tomorrow. So, thank you. There's a whole lot I could say about my mom's death, obviously, and I think the extent of those stories are for another time, but I will say that this past year has been the hardest year of my life. No comparison. 
Um, you always hear that the first year of marriage is kind of iffy. It, you know, it brings its own difficulties, but the stuff we've had to navigate through this year just really heaped it on. And for me, I got to a place where, despite my trying to, I couldn't busy way, my way out of dealing with the emotions and processing the trauma I've experienced in the past year. There have been nights that I've cried myself out of tears, just in pure exhaustion. And we have had plenty of arguments just because we're tired. Like, it all comes down to being exhausted. We've grown a lot through it, and we actually do love and understand each other much more today than we did a year ago. We've got 13 hours until it's official, but I think it's safe to say that we've made it. We made it a year. Yes. So this past spring around Easter, um, I'm enrolled in the Vineyard Institute, and I was taking a course on spiritual formation. And I was also, I've also been going to therapy to deal with all this stuff. Um, and both of these things had me dealing with my shadow self, my ego, my flesh, looking at my hurts, my pain, my baggage, and how both of these things, and while I was doing that, both of these things, therapy and the Vineyard Institute, gave me homework to process, and I wasn't doing my homework. My whole life, I've internalized that the way you pursue a relationship with God, the way you remain in the vine, all of that stuff, is through keeping spiritual disciplines. I think that's fair to say, right? And for me, that always meant waking up early to read the Bible or a book or giving myself space to journal and just air out my emotions and process them. But this year, I haven't had the emotional or mental energy to do any of that. And I felt like a failure. And so one day, visiting my therapist, I confessed to her that I hadn't been doing my homework. And my homework from her were things like writing letters to my mom or writing letters to myself through this past year. And I told her, I'm taking this course on spiritual formation, and I'm reading through these various spiritual disciplines, and I think I realized I'm just really bad at discipline, and I think I, I really need it right now. So what should I, how do I do that? How do I get better? And she looked at me and she said, you know, maybe you don't need to be disciplined right now. Maybe you could just rest. And that simple phrase, maybe you could just rest, shifted something inside of me. I want to say that it changed my life, but it might be too early to say that. Um, but that's been my meditation this whole summer, this whole Pentecost season, and that's been a very big change of perspective for me, that the way I stay close to God, the way I stay close to myself, the way I stay healthy, the way I remain in the vine, is not by doing or working, but just by creating space in my life for the Holy Spirit, choosing to slow down even when I make a full schedule. We can't make the Holy Spirit show up or move. That's not on us. We can only create space for him. I used to try to do that a lot when I was younger, to coerce the Holy Spirit into doing what I wanted. When I was in high school, I led a prayer team for my youth group, and I was full of youthful zeal. My friends and I were determined to see a revival come to our little town, which was Wimberley, so right down the street, right down the road. Um, we would wake up at 5 a.m. on Saturday mornings as high schoolers and climb this little hill country mountain that overlooked our high school, and we would pray as the sun rose. We would get to school early, and we would pray. We would pray through lunch, and eventually we started a little prayer room in this office by one of the rivers in Wimberley, and we started having weekends of 24-hour prayer. And those years um, were very formative for me in two ways, and again, this might require a non-dual lens. The first was that I learned a lot about the Bible, because I read it a lot, and I spent a lot of time with Jesus. 
And I was genuinely, like, my relationship with Jesus was genuine. And I loved him. And even if I was a little extreme in, you know, the stuff that we would do, I was also taking walks through the forest and just listening to the Spirit whisper to me. And there are some real seeds of contemplation and rest being sown into those years. But another way this was formative for me was that I was exercising a lot of my public faith out of a heart of actually wanting to control the situations that I was in. And I think that's because I grew up in a pretty broken family. When I started going to church, I found a new family. And as many good things as there were that came with that, I kind of internalized this idea that to remain part of this new family, I had to believe everything that everyone else believed. We had to be united around the same common purpose. And if I went off script, that I couldn't be part of the family anymore. I'm not sure that that was like communicated to me, but that's what I felt. And so I dove so hard into the script that I was a part of, ultimately just wanting to belong. And I think those of us that gravitate a bit towards fundamentalism, and I'm including myself in that, I think we're really just afraid. Because if one piece of the faith that we're building falls, it's all going to fall. And so instead of ask, like, trusting the Holy Spirit to build us and shape us and make beautiful things out of our humanity, we take a posture of defense. And we keep our fists closed. So for me, in this prayer room, at the same time that I was genuinely encountering Jesus, I was also trying to control him. If anything happened that wasn't part of the script, it would have crushed me. There was too much to lose. So instead of having a posture of open hands, this, instead of having a heart posture that was like this, my hands were like this, I was not resting. I was being busy. After high school, I took my youthful zeal into missions, and I joined a missions organization, which was a great place for it. And I've mentioned that before here, um, that I was a part of this organization for five years, and the majority of my time with them was beautiful and good and fruitful, but towards the end of my time there, and I had already planned, like, I was in the process of moving on, there was a sort of movement that began sweeping through that was very charismatic. And I don't think that charismatic equals bad. That's not what I'm saying at all. But this particular movement had a lot of emphasis on miracles, signs and wonders. And with those things came the question, is your faith big enough to see someone healed? And they were getting this stuff from the New Testament where Jesus recognizes the faith of various people that he heals. But I wonder if the hidden spirit of this particular movement I found myself caught up in was again control and fear. What if the spirit didn't show up? And within this this movement, it was this idea that anything the Spirit does, it depends on us. It was a very familiar busyness that I had danced with for several years. It was thinking that we could make him show up and do whatever we wanted if we prayed hard enough or said the right words, you name it. It was destructive, it was exhausting, and it was like running on a treadmill. And towards the end of all of this, I started to experience some pretty um, significant spiritual trauma. Um... And that, long story short, began the deconstruction of my faith. So that building that I had so fiercely defended started to crumble. And as I look back on it now, I actually think being hurt in a super charismatic environment was part of the Holy Spirit's kindness to me. It felt like he handed me a mirror to look at my own face and to see what was inside of my own heart, what I was capable of, and what I had been participating in. I wasn't just receiving hurt, I was the one doing the hurting at times. In the midst of this deconstruction, have you all heard that word? I feel like it's kind of, it's trending. 
these days. Um, I didn't know how to process what I was experiencing happening inside of me, and I didn't know of a roadmap to help me understand. I remember trying to put words to it, and the only thing that could come out of my mouth was, I just feel like there's these gears inside of me, and they aren't turning anymore. Like, it's not working. And I, I'm frustrated. I'm not angry, but these gears are frustrated. And all of this was happening right as I moved home, and this was in 2013, so this was a while ago. And remember how I said when I started following Jesus in middle school, coming from a broken family, my church was my new family. Like, my community was so important to me. And so for me, this experience of deconstruction wasn't just a cavalier, oh, I don't believe this anymore, I'm going to go do something more exciting. It was a crisis. It was, if, if, I, if I don't follow the script anymore, because I don't know if I do anymore, I'm going to lose my family. And that added to the intensity of what I was feeling. And so when I would go to church, because that's what I knew to do, I would sit in services, and my heart would start beating really fast, and I would start sweating, and I started having racing thoughts. And that's honestly kind of like a PTSD response. And I know it's not wise to throw that term around, and I'm not trying to take it lightly, but that's the best description I found to put words into what I was experiencing. That happened when I would go to church. It happened when I would read the Bible. It happened when I listened to worship music. So I stopped doing all of those things for a while because they weren't safe anymore. That's what those, like, those physical responses my body was giving was my body telling me this isn't safe, like you need to stay away from this. There's a lot of talk about falling away right now. I don't know if you've tapped into this. Um, as some big names in the Christian universe are going through their own deconstruction, the nature of their ministries have been public, so consequently, this wandering has also been publicized. And I've noticed a big pushback, um, a lot of people on social media, of course, kind of chastising these individuals for their lack of faith, etc., whatever. And first of all, we need to say that's poor boundaries. We've got to learn that the emotional realities of others are not our responsibility to manage, especially if we feel threatened by them or disagree with them. And second of all, I can tell you that for me, walking away for a little while saved me. On the road away from what I thought was God, I met God. I met Jesus. And I've always described it as like my whole life there's been this really sweet scent that's wafted past my nose and then I, I lose it. And I, I feel like through that experience, I started to smell that, that sweetness more and more. And as I walked back to Jesus, it was like, oh, I've just been looking in the wrong direction. Like it's been over here the whole time. It's also like the disciples on Emmaus Road walking away from Jerusalem after the crucifixion. Their hearts are heavy. They feel like all of their hopes have just been dashed. But there on that road away is where they encountered the risen Lord. Or like C.S. Lewis said, how can we see God face to face until we have faces? How can we expect to see God for who he really is until we show him who we really are? Until we quit trying to control everything in our lives out of fear and just give up and come to him. When we go from this to this. God is not afraid of our honesty, our doubt, our pain, our disbelief, our brokenness. I actually think it's probably pretty precious to Jesus when we come to that place of realizing the end of ourselves, when we realize our utter lack, our emptiness, when we realize that we can't control him and our spiritual busyness cannot save us. The spirit is close to the brokenhearted, and I have a feeling that meekness is the best thing in the world to Jesus. The last few months of my time in high school, in that little prayer room, 
we actually did see a little bit of a revival. That's the funny part. Um, people in Wimberley, not just students, but people who didn't want anything to do with Jesus started following Jesus. And kids from all the different like groups in high school started showing up at our prayer room, and some of them would speak in tongues, and we didn't even know what tongues were. <laughs> and so it was, um, it was really weird. It was awesome. Uh, and through the years, I've been able to see that's, that's been fruit that's lasted. And that was a good thing. And as I think more about it, um, this sounds really simple, but I think all of that, all of that fruit was just God playing with his kids. We were tugging at his sleeve relentlessly. And I think he started playing our game with us. Not because of anything we were doing or how hard we were praying, but I think it had everything to do with the sweetness of the Holy Spirit. God cares about us. And so that brings us back to we are the garden. We aren't the ones who make Holy Spirit stuff happen. Our call is to remain in the vine and to stay close to the Spirit by creating space in our souls and by paying attention. So these days, the past, I don't know, month or so, after this epiphany of rest, before I go to work, I make coffee and I sit in a chair by my window and I just sit there and I acknowledge that the Spirit's there too. Sometimes I'll read, but I'll make it a point to not read too much. And that has been kind of the extent of my spiritual practice, just slowing down and sitting. And as I've been doing this, I've gained more energy and the courage to engage with the stuff of the last year, to write those letters to my mom and to myself. And it's not fun. There's all sorts of data and science. Some of you, I'm sure, have heard this. That show the benefits of meditation and silence. Meditation expands the parts of our brain that regulate empathy, compassion, and mindfulness, and it makes the amygdala, or the part that operates reactivity, fear, anxiety, and stress, it makes that smaller. And we have a name for meditation within the Christian tradition, and it's called a centering prayer. The idea of centering prayer is just to be silent and just be in God's loving presence. And when anxious thoughts come, this was a big one for me, because I've always thought, well, meditation is like, you just get to a place where your mind is blank. That's really hard. But someone said this to me, one of my friends mentioned this a couple of months ago, and it came, I mean, with all of these things I was learning. And when you meditate and when you sit in the presence of God, when thoughts come, you don't try to control them. You just let them pass by. And maybe with every breath we can remember, that God is loving, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger, overflowing with faithfulness. When we take time to breathe those words in and remember them and let them like sink into our psyche, they change us. So this stuff is actually like physically healing for us. I've also been trying to take more naps. I don't have a lot of spare time, but I've tried to sneak them in. Yesterday I took two naps in one day, it was great. Um, and if I'm honest, I still experience anxiety. It hasn't magically disappeared in my life. It's still very present. I still do this. But it takes time and effort to create new neural pathways. And so my tendencies towards anxiety and busyness are only going to change, change as I choose to rest and trust and abide in the spirit in my normal everyday life. And so to finish, I wonder if we could all just do a quick moment of contemplative prayer together. 
and just sit with some words from First John and a few questions. So um, if you're comfortable with this, I'd love for you to participate. If not, you can keep your eyes open and watch everyone. Um, but go ahead and set anything you're holding down and get comfortable in your chair and sit up straight, but not too straight, just relaxed. Then go ahead and close your eyes. Take a deep breath. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. There is no fear in love. Complete love drives out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and anyone who is afraid has not been completed in love. Is there anything you're afraid of right now? What role does fear have in your day to day? Do we come to God or use religion for easy answers to anesthetize or numb our fears? And if so, I want to invite you to be honest with yourself, with God, and to bring your fears and your doubts and your pain before him and give him the chance of doing the good work of transforming them in the fire of his love. Complete love drives out fear. Can you think of a time that you've truly encountered love that has put fear to rest? Be it through a friend, through a family member, maybe a parent when you were really little. That's the love of God reaching out to us. Let's pay attention and notice that love of God. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. There is no fear in love. Complete love drives out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and anyone who is afraid has not been completed in love. So Holy Spirit, we just ask you for the courage to give up and to bring to you our true selves with our clenched fists and our deep insecurities. Holy Spirit, would you continue to show us the love of God? Would you give us eyes to see it every day? Would you bring rest to our souls as we surrender our fear, our need to control, to your love? Let's all take a deep breath together again. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Amen. That's all I've got. Thanks for listening. <laughs>